Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, y'all. It's Katie. Uh, Before we get too deep into today's conversation, I want to take a moment to thank our amazing supporters on Patreon. As you all heard on our mini episode, we started a Patreon page where listeners can pledge to support the podcast on a monthly basis, and we're almost halfway to our monthly goal. So thank you so much. So shout outs to our new Patreon supporters, Sarah M, Katie W, and Morgan L. They're getting all kinds of fun bonus content over on our closed Facebook group. So if you want to support Kindreds and get a lot of fun bonus content, go on over to patreon.com slash kindreds to pledge today. Hey, Ashley. Hi. Hi. Wait, that's not Ashley. (laughs) Hey, y'all know it's a little bit of fun we're having today. Uh, Ashley and I were supposed to record today on Valentine's Day about marriage, but she had to go into labor early. So Ashley is now officially a mama and we're so excited for her. She's doing really well, she and her baby. Mm -hmm. And so I invited my lovely husband, Matt, to join us on this conversation. So do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Matt, Katie's husband, and and I am happy to be here. <laughs> Is there something else I'm supposed to say? Matt's a little nervous because he's not recorded a podcast, although you do voiceover for work Listen, all the time. I'm not nervous. I just have no idea what I'm doing. Okay. But well, it doesn't make me nervous. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about marriage, which hopefully you know a little something about since we've been married almost five years now. And I've... Had a little experience before that as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that in a second. So let's start out. It's Valentine's Day. What do you think about Valentine's Day? It's celebrating Valentine's Day in general. Just in general? I mean, I think it's a fun way to um, prompt you and your partner to um, tell each other how much you appreciate each other. Um, but I always think, I also think it's kind of a Hallmark holiday, you know? Like kind of made up holiday. Yeah, kind of a or commercialized. Commercialized, yeah. What do you think? I think it's always good to reflect on what love means in all different kinds of forms, not just romantic love. And and I agree that for people, you know, in families and partnerships and friendships, just having something built in as a way to reflect on what the people in your life mean to you is is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be confined to Valentine's Day, but I think just having that built-in holiday is is a good thing. And it's also funny that this year, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday fall on each other. So I saw someone say, will you be my Valentine from dust to dust or uh. <laughs> something like that? So lots of creative theological jokes going on this year. And- I also like how you said that it's it's not just your partner. It's your family. It's your kids. It's your, you know. Yeah. We had a fun time this morning surprising our three-year-old with some Valentine's Day stuff. Mm -hmm. Little cards, and it takes so little to make her happy. It's really cute. Dollar store socks. Exactly. Dollar store socks. All right, so we want to talk about marriage today. Mm -hmm. Did you always know that you wanted to get married? No. I haven't really thought about that, but I mean, I guess I just kind of assumed that's what you do. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't like longing to be married that I remember. What about you? I 
felt like I would always get married, especially when I was younger. And I think that's in part because until I got to graduate school, I had never really seen a model of a woman choosing to be single, to not get married, and to do other things with her life. But when I got to divinity school, I met this amazing Catholic nun and scholar, Margaret Farley, and she was the first person I encountered who I felt like had made a very intentional decision to be unmarried, but had led this amazing life and had touched so many people and had, you know, traveled the world. And I thought, wow, maybe I could do that. I mean, not the nun part, because I'm not Catholic and I don't want to be a nun, <laughs> but just the, maybe my life could be full without that. Mm-hmm. But I am glad that I got married to you. Me too. So you mentioned at the beginning that you have had some experience. I have. Being married, in addition Katie, to being married to me. Katie is my third wife. Consecutive wife, not at the same time. Right. Right. I got rid of the previous ones first. <laughs> yeah, I my first marriage was fairly young. And How old were you? Well, I was, let's see, 25. Yeah, that's young for a guy. I mean, one thing I think we can admit is that, in general, women mature more quickly than men. And I feel like when I was 25, I married a woman who was 29, and the maturity level was very different. Um, why do you think that women mature faster than men in your experience? Oh, gosh, why? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's a socialization thing and a, and the way our society expects women to be more responsible. And mm-hmm. men are encouraged to play and women are encouraged to... Um, do cleaning and you know be responsible and i'm not condoning this but i do think our society kind of does that even not intentionally it's just part of our deal i also think women's identity is so often talked about in their relationships to other people not just who they are in and of themselves it's about your relationship to your family or Hmm. to a partner so i think there might be a more of a pressure for women to enter into those relationships because we're told that that's an essential part of our identity. And if you don't have it, then it feels like something you're, might be missing. You're an old maid or something. <laughs> yeah. So you're 25, immature. But why did you decide to get married at that time? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, there's a lot that I love about Michelle, my first wife. Um so there were a lot of reasons to get married to her. We had we were both in clinical psychology, so we had that in common. Um, we kind of had a similar outlook on life. Uh, and I had dated a lot, probably a dozen people, you know, serious relationships uh, before that. And I said, you know, this is as good as it's going to get. I better, you know, make this happen because I don't think it's going to get any better. Um, but I think that kind of blinded me to some of the reasons why it wasn't a great fit. Um, and I won't go into the details, but uh, I think it's easy to say, this is what I'm I'm supposed to get married. 
I've tried out lots of people. <laughs> Maybe that's not the right phrase, but... Um, You've been in other relationships. I've been in other relationships, and this one, everything pales in comparison to this one. Well, why wouldn't I marry this person? I think in a lot of ways that makes sense, and probably a lot of people can identify with that. And maybe for some people that does work out. That that yeah, sure. They can grow together and change and evolve and maybe become better together. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also been, uh, there's an unfair stigma, I think, around getting married and getting divorced. I mean, most people have some story of a failed relationship, whether or not they decided to legally get married. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it should have any more stigma than any other relationship that didn't work out in the long run because at least you gave it a shot Mm -hmm. you gave it you gave it a try and it didn't work out but i don't know why there's that stigma around divorce versus just partnerships that don't last right that is interesting that it's it's more serious you know it's it becomes more real when you sign that marriage certificate one of the things that ashley and i wanted to talk about and she obviously isn't here. We're talking to you. So it'll probably be different for you. But did you feel any pressure externally to get married at that time or at any point in your life? No. Not really. Not at all. I mean, um, I feel like my my parents and my family are are such that they're just very, we just want what's best for you. You know, do what makes you happy. But not like you're supposed to get married. You need to get married. No, I never got that from anyone. Maybe that's a gender difference, huh? Do you feel like anyone's perception of you changed when you were married versus when you were single or or just dating someone? Yeah, I think people, if you're married, people assume that you're um, a little bit more mature or something or more, you know, advanced in your life or something. <laughs> Probably especially for men. I would think. You think, that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've shown studies around when men get married and when they have kids that they're perceived in the workplace especially as being more responsible. They tend to get mm-hmm. paid more because there's an idea that now you are this mature, responsible, hardworking person. Mm-hmm. And the, the opposite is true for women because there's an assumption that when women take on those roles that they'll not dedicate themselves to work. It's really unfair. It is. <laughs> and plays into the whole gender pay, uh, gender pay disparity thing. So I was just curious if you felt like there were positive benefits to getting married more than just in your relationship. Uh, one of the things Ashley and I were going to talk about is because we both grew up in, in churches that played into purity culture, which is something that we've talked about in the past. Um, and I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes, the episode where we talked about purity culture, but that our faith communities weren't, they didn't push us to get married, but there was such an emphasis around sexual abstinence that when young people, even younger than you, you know, early twenties, people in our churches would get married. There was really, nobody really batted an eye. It was Mm. just, it was, it was celebrated. There was no question around, are these people too young? The whole formula was if you play into this purity culture and you uphold those norms, then it's great for you to get married and you'll have a great marriage. And we both know people, especially women who kind of followed that formula and then had terrible marriages. Sure. But 
I think the church was kind of complicit in that culture of like getting married before you were ready, kind of like what you were talking about with your first marriage. Mm -hmm. What do you think that you learned most from that experience? Yeah, I think, um, I think I learned one of the things about that relationship that I regret is I, I didn't talk about the things that were upsetting me very well. And I just built resentment and um, got to a point where I was just miserable and hadn't really addressed the issues, but I was too far gone to, I mean, it felt that way anyway. I was too far gone to make it happen. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm out of here. You know, Mm. I got to get a divorce. I can't handle it anymore. I'm miserable. Whereas, you know, the, the two things in hindsight I wish I'd done are one, really delve into some of the issues with her. And two, um, so that, so delve into those issues so the resentment didn't build. And two, um, try a little harder to make it work, you know. But I, but I, I think you, in any relationship, if you let that resentment build, you get to a point where you just can't, you're just too far gone. To to rewind and start over and change your perception of that person and so and I think um, I learned that lesson a little bit in my first marriage and I learned it a lot in my second marriage mm. like that because well it's complicated but the the second marriage I tried much harder but the resentment still built up yeah it's a real challenge and I think. The resentment thing is so true in romantic relationships, but it can be true in any kind of relationships we have with friends or with family members. And it makes me think of a time with a colleague who confronted me about something that had happened way earlier that had really hurt her feelings, but it had been so long and she hadn't brought it up that I couldn't even really remember the particular exchange. And so I felt like I couldn't make amends because... It had happened so long ago, and I didn't even know what I had done, so I couldn't correct the mistake. Uh, So I remember saying, you know, going forward, please try to tell me as soon as you can if there's something I've done. That's so key to the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. So what do you – because for those listening, Katie and I are 12 years different. I'm 12 years older than Katie. So I've had 12 more years of dating, two more marriages – how does it feel for you to have to not have had that much experience? I mean, you you dated, you had like maybe three or four really long serious relationships. long relationships. And do you does it ever concern you that you haven't had a lot of pra- as much practice <laughs> as me? And I think. What's unique about our relationship, I mean, a lot of things, but one thing I really value is that I feel like I can learn from you what you learned from your previous Hmm. relationships. My other relationships were fine, but I never felt like I could really learn from my partner about how to be a good partner. And so there are times when I think we're not on equal footing, you know, because you have had all this other experience and perspective, but nothing in life is truly equal or equitable. Mm -hmm. So I I try to look at it as a positive that 
I get to learn from the perspective that you have and some of the tools and skills that you have to become a better partner without having to go through some of that pain that you went through. Mm. So in general, and especially now, we've been together almost seven years and almost married for five. Those thoughts might have been harder for me at the beginning, but now that we're kind of into this into it in our relationship, I, I just see it as something that, you know, is really a benefit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, going back to that stigma, I think marrying someone who's been married before and who really took the time to reflect and learn is a huge asset. And so I would say if anybody has trepidation about dating someone who's been married before, you know, if they've done the work, it actually can be a real benefit to you as a partner. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've talked about all this uh, before, and so that helps us understand it. And... One really unique part about our marriage compared to the other ones that you've had is that we have a kid together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a, we have a kiddo. How has that changed your understanding and experience of being married? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, the... I don't know if this necessarily relates to being married, but having a kid completely changed, uh, opened up a part of my heart that wasn't there before. Like, I I feel like I have a new kind of love that I didn't have before. Um, In terms of our marriage, I think it, it brings us much closer because we have to, well, for us anyway, we, we have decided that we are a team. And it, and the more challenges we have with Samantha, the more we have to band together and be a team. I think it can also, for some relationships, can have the opposite thing where it drives you apart and you're frustrated with each other all the time. But I also feel like when we have, when we have challenges, not just with Sam, but with any sort of challenge or disagreement, when we get to the other side of it, I feel stronger. I feel like our relationship is stronger because it's like we had this hardship. We had this disagreement. We got through it. We figured it out. Now, next time it's going to be easier or mm-hmm. maybe there won't be a next time for that one issue. And every time we do it, the issues will we'll check them off our list. And Yeah, there's constantly new challenges as she changes and grows and mm-hmm becomes her own person that we're having to figure out on the fly and trying different things and testing things out. And sometimes one of us has the solution that the other one doesn't. And it's really nice to have someone to lean on to help Mm -hmm. figure all of that out. And I would agree. I think it's challenged us in our partnership in ways that we never would have experienced. I don't think we could have experienced without that addition of being a parent and forming a family as three people. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's challenged us in terms of negotiating really basic day-to-day things and how our schedules go. And oh, yeah. um, I will give Matt major props for the last month. I've been on the road a lot and we've had a lot of snow here in North Carolina, which has meant our child's been out of school. And then I got the flu and then I got ordained, so yeah. it's been... And Sam was sick, and I was sick, and yeah, it's been it's a rough... it's been a rough... Yeah. It's been a rough winter so far, but I think that experience of just having to really rely on you and a broader network of people, but most especially you, 
has shown me again how strong that partnership is and how it's not always equal. Um, but sometimes it's about taking turns Mm -hmm. depending on what's going on. Yeah. And just rising to the occasion. I feel like you don't, you don't know how much you can accomplish until you have to. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, there's just no option. If, uh, if we want to be nurturing parents, there's just, there's a kid who wakes up every day who needs everything done for her and, yeah. Just got it. If it's you and you're sick, you know, we don't have family close by. Yeah. We don't really have people we can lean on that much. We just have to figure it out. And we've managed to figure it out every day for over three years. Yeah. And I don't think I would have thought that I could have done what I did last week, which was to have a hundred degree temperature all day and be alone with her and still take care of her. And still, because in the past, it's like, hey, you got a hundred degree temperature. I'm sleeping all day. Period. Mm-hmm. So I just would have never assumed I could take care of a kid that sick. Right. Right. It's a tough balance, too, of how do you find a way to meet your own needs in those situations? And sometimes mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen right then. Yeah. She's the priority. Yeah. You and her, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're reflecting on Valentine's Day and coming up on five years of marriage in April. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you've learned specifically in our marriage that you think would be helpful for other people to hear? Well, you could do a whole podcast on this, but um, we talk a lot about anger and how we each handle anger differently and are more comfortable with anger or less comfortable with anger. So I grew up in a family where anger was not really an acceptable emotion. You don't feel anger. You don't show anger. If you're angry, you stuff it down and, you know, don't make other people uncomfortable. And I, and I feel, I mean, you can speak for yourself, but I feel like for you and your family, anger is a more comfortable thing. It's a more useful tool that can help you process things and get it out and not repress your emotions. Um, so looking and and I've noticed that difference in other relationships, but I've never been with someone who could articulate their side of it as well as you do. And I and you've said things like, I need that anger. You know, I that anger, I need to process things and be angry for a little bit, and then I then I'm cool. Um Cool off. You're cool, man. Um Don't call me man. Listen, man. <laughs> um and so I think it's helped me to to grow in understanding of others' experience with anger <clears throat> and also to explore my own experience of anger. I'm a little pissed off right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I think that if I were to label one growth thing in our marriage, that would be the biggest one is um, just a, a, a larger understanding of my issues with anger and differences between people and how they express and handle anger. Like Justin Timberlake says, it's like you're a mirror. Oh. (laughs) But, I mean, marriage is, in all seriousness, marriage is such a good mirror of yourself and learning more about your own emotional makeup and how your past influences your present. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned from you and about myself, and Matt also has a psychology background, which is actually quite useful, Uh, is about the concept of triggers 
mm. and how situations that really are pretty inconsequential, if you look at them from like a data point of view, can create these massive emotional reactions within me and trying to figure out, okay, why am I having this really huge reaction to something that's pretty minor? What is it about my past that reminds me of this particular moment? And what we found is the way that we respond individually to our triggers often trigger an emotional response in the other. And so we'll get into this loop. It's a negative transference loop. Look that up, people. (laughs) We'll link to that in the show notes. (laughs) Some resources around that. But I think... What I've learned over the course of our relationship is to identify when that pattern's happening sooner and sooner mm-hmm. so that it doesn't get down into that downward spiral too fast, too often. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can recognize this is one of those situations when, you know, I'm reminded of something painful in my past. It's making me, it's causing me to react this way. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect at it, but I think I've definitely learned a lot about what those painful points are. And I think we try to avoid those Mm -hmm. when we can. Uh, Obviously, if you know something upsets someone, yeah, you try to, to hopefully, unless you really want to dig in. Right. Right. Which, I mean, I'm not saying we never do, but in general, we're pretty good about that. In general, we've learned how to cope with that. I think transference is something that if, if every couple could read up on transference and understand transference and work on, tools to combat that transference. I mean, so the kind of the definition of transference is you, um, you experienced something negative in your past. And every time you experience something similar, it reminds you of that last time and the time before and the time before. And so as you experience those similar negative moments, the entire history of that type of moment is stacked on top. And that's why you have such a strong reaction. You're, you're not just reacting to that moment. You're reacting to the 800 previous times that that moment triggered mm-hmm. you. It's created actual circuitry in your brain in a loop, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's learned and then your brain just kind of goes to that same place every time, only reinforcing it every single time. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, the worst is when you do something that triggers me, my transference and my reaction to that triggers transference in you and then it's like down spiral time i was wondering if we could think of an example of that that might be helpful for people (sighs) to hear because it's a little abstract yeah i mean well maybe the maybe the an anger an anger situation might be good so yeah so i'm feeling upset i'm feeling angry about something not i'm not angry at you i'm expressing that anger you know raised voice Maybe swearing a lot, probably <laughs> swearing a lot, and so that triggers what in you? Yeah, like the, so that the makes me that makes me very uncomfortable because I've learned that anger isn't acceptable, and I've and all of these previous times I've experienced anger, I've been uncomfortable. So now I'm majorly uncomfortable and resentful because you're making me feel, quote unquote, making me feel right. this way. So then, so then my response is to either lash back at you because I'm mad that you're making me feel this emotion with you or to just shut down, which then makes you feel the separation and distance, which is a transference trigger for you when you mm-hmm. feel like we're, I'm not engaging with you. 
and right. so on. And so on and so on. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good example. So maybe that's something for folks to spend some time thinking about is just what are what are those triggers in any relationship and how do you work through them? And if you're in loving relationship, I think that's that's probably my let maybe we can flip it around to what's good. What I feel is so great about being in a relationship with you is just knowing that we can work through it and mm-hmm. you're not going anywhere. So I don't have to worry about those moments when something like that happens. I know that we're going to work through it together. And if we can't work through it, we'll find the right resource to help us work through it. And just that knowing that like this particular moment might be really difficult, but we've got so much going for us that Mm -hmm. we can, we can put some resources toward figuring out this particular hardship. And that's, and having that respect for one another as, as human beings, in addition to how we, relate to one another romantically, I think is just really critical. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the first step is starting to identify when you have those reactions that you're like, why am I so pissed right now? Like what's going on? So you start identifying those and, and, um, and back to like, wow, that really triggered me. Why might that be? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And therapists are great with helping you work through that oh, if you're yeah. having difficulty. Absolutely. So we can link to some resources. Maybe you can suggest some things for people to read sure. or look at about this. But I love you, baby. Love you too. See, I'm and glad we, we're married. I'm glad we're married. And hey, when your podcast co-host can't be on the show because she just had a baby and your husband says he'll do it, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're not angry, are you? Are you not angry with me right now, are you? Um, we can talk about it later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to transition to what we're reading and what we're listening to. Did you have a sound effect you wanted to offer? What we're reading, reading, reading. Okay. Uh, I wanted to share a book that Ashley actually bought for me that we read together called Emergent Strategy. It's by Adrienne Marie Brown. And the subtitle is Shaping Change, Changing Worlds. I have never read a book like this. It's part memoir, part poetry, part how-to, part kind of dreamy quotes, inspirational writing uh, for people who want to make the world better. Um, And she really takes on some of the more traditional ways that people have tried to create social change that are very focused on maybe a particular charismatic leader where it's one person who, you know, everyone's looking to to change the world and thinking about how can we band together in more collective ways, more grassroots ways, how do we team up and partner together for survival and also how we individually should mirror the things that we want to see. So how do we take care of ourselves, you know, and make sure that our lives model and reflect what we're trying to do as a whole. She also uses uses Octavia Butler, the science fiction um, African-American writer who we absolutely love on this show, as a way to kind of dream about what's possible in the future. It's really, really great book. I've been quoting it on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, it's all over my Twitter feed because I just absolutely love it and want to share it with other people. So that's Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And Matt, you were going to share something you've been listening to. Yeah. Now, do you want to do a sound effect for that? What we're listening to. (laughs) So um, I wanted to talk about a podcast I listened to that I really liked, um, This American Life. And the episode is Words You Can't Say. 
And I thought it was good, especially given some of the topics you all have had. It's a it's a great um, exploration into um, our, how we have to be politically correct in this climate and how it's really easy to say the wrong thing, especially when you're in the public eye. Um, and just some stories about people who say the quote-unquote wrong thing um, and, and kind of get in trouble from it. But I, lo- I love it because I think a lot about how constrained our language is now. There are so you every time you talk, you have to think, okay, let me be sure that I don't say the wrong word or phrase or label. Or mm-hmm. um, so I thought it was a very clever way of um, presenting that issue. I haven't listened to that episode yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And I, I wonder if it also goes into the point that language is just so limiting sometimes. And sometimes there just aren't the right words to say because we just don't have the words, mm. the right words for them. I think that's true. I don't know that they go into that, but yeah, I agree. Another topic for another This American Life. So that's mm-hmm. This American Life words you can't say. And yeah, it's 637. Episode 637. Oh my goodness. 637? Yeah, they're for real. Wow. We'll link to that in the show notes. So for our last segment, we're going to talk about kindreds of the moment. Kindreds of the moment, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to lift up Wake International. They are uh, a women's tech empowerment nonprofit working to connect change makers who are focused specifically around gender justice issues with the best of the best in the tech field. And I got to go to their first conference out in San Francisco, uh, the, the first one they've done in the United States. And it was just a great gathering of about 60 activists from across the country coming together to meet with folks from places like Slack and Twitter and LinkedIn to learn about how to build a digital strategy for the common good. I will link to them in the show notes, of course, but you can look at their website, Wake International. And I want to thank them for all their hard work in doing this very first conference in the United States. I would love to recommend any of you who are interested in attending. They're planning more for this year and 2019. So be sure to look them up and you can send us an email if you're interested at team at kindredspodcast.com. I want to thank my lovely husband for joining us today. And we will be recording more episodes with guest hosts over the next few months. So stay tuned for what our next episode will be. I don't know exactly what it'll be because change of plans, early Mm -hmm. birth, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it'll be great. We should shout out to Ashley and say congratulations. congratulations, Ashley. We know how challenging and fun those first few weeks and months are with a baby. So good luck and have fun and stuff. Yeah, we got you. And we miss you, but we hope that you'll listen to this and maybe get some get some pleasure out of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 